Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Live from San Diego and Brooklyn, New York, you're listening to the Solis Report. Tonight's guest is from ship chasing and established the run, Mr. Pat Crane. Later, the boys answer the phone and learn about blockchain with Davis Maddock. Featuring Devin McIntyre and the Solis Report Band. And your host, John Solis! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get to the news. Uh, Folks, uh, another great game for Saints quarterback Taysom Hill. Uh, another game, two more touchdowns. One to Jared Cook, one to Manny Sanders. And with those two scores, he now has a total of four, count them, four career touchdowns, which ties him with wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. Fine company indeed. He'll certainly be looking to move up that career list. He now has his sights set on Ladanian Tomlinson. <laughs> He's got six or seven, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of the Saints, uh, did you hear this, Steph? Uh, Sean Payton, he recently announced that once Drew Brees retires, he's going to give Jameis Winston, uh, last year's interception leader, he's going to give him a second chance to be the starter. Oh, that's a little bit surprising after he was passed over, right, this year? Yeah, yeah, that's right. At long last, a well-deserved second chance for Jameis Winston. Uh, folks, you know, uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell back in the news, uh, apparently he's been telling everyone how great things are in Kansas City. Wait, is that, are you sure you're right about that? I heard he was uh, getting a little vocal about how unhappy he was with his playing time. He's he's telling people the opposite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it turns out, uh, when he negotiated his contract a few months ago, he was paid entirely in Bitcoin. <laughs> Oh my god, Dev, how did we make it this far into the monologue without talking about a certain pooping quarterback from last week? You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, that is, uh, everyone's talking about this. It's the talk of NFL locker rooms. Uh, Mason Rudolph shit his pants again for no <laughs> no reason. Unexplicable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, you know, a, a bit of a surprise. Uh, fresh off of that game-winning long score, uh, Henry Ruggs was mostly neglected by the Raiders last week. Just not a lot of looks going his way. Uh, the last time I've seen Ruggs treated so negligently, it was in my college dorm. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. If you didn't like to vacuum, then how come all your college buddies call you the Hoover? Hey, who told you that? <laughs> Uh, you know, the Lions seem to be doing better with Matt Patricia out the door. I mean, they're not quite thriving, but they're managing under interim coach Daryl Bevel. 
You know, they asked Stafford how he likes playing for his new coach. And Stafford said, well, Patricia was really edgy, maybe too edgy. Bevel really smoothed those edges out. Absolutely beveled them. Great woodworking joke. Just what the listeners have been demanding. Uh, Speaking of wood, though, Robert Wood seems to be fully recovered from the groin pull he suffered earlier this season. That's right. He's been doing pretty well. Yeah, although Woods maintains that he never, in fact, pulled his groin, uh, he was just leaning back to tuck his shirt in. <laughs> the old Rudy Giuliani defense. Uh, you know, we joke, but in, in serious news, it has been reported that Giuliani uh, was hospitalized with COVID. I'm not sure his current status, but uh, just putting any partisan feelings aside, I think Americans across the political spectrum are wishing him a swift speedy and painless journey to the afterlife (laughs) Devin that um, that is dark but I liked it more bad news for Steelers fans Deontay Johnson's close contacts are now being monitored oh that is bad news he has he has COVID oh no no it's not COVID Uh, he's got a case of the drops (laughs) oh that's uh, I did not know that was contagious no one did. Uh, really, they think he got it from Eric Ebron. All right, folks, thanks for coming back with us. Uh, we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about the blockchain with Davis Maddock. Uh, we might take a call or two. And then finally, we've got a close friend of the show. You know him from Establish the Run. You know him from Chip Chasing. None other than Pat Corrine. So stick around. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. Offer available through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You know, folks, we alluded to this in the monologue, but Bitcoin is out of control right now. It's actually over $20,000 per coin for the first time in its history. Did you hear that, Dev? Yeah, all-time high. All-time high. And the, the, the bad part is, not only do I not have any Bitcoin, I don't even know what it is. And I don't even know what uh, uh, the blockchain, which is, I guess, what makes it even possible. I don't know anything about that. Do you? 
Yeah, no, I don't. I'm finding out that I am financially illiterate in ways that I didn't even know existed before. <laughs> it's magnified in this whole new era, but we are in luck because we have from uh, Sports Grid, uh, not only is he a DFS guru, he's also a Bitcoin and blockchain guru. Uh, folks, uh, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Davis Maddock. All right, David, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, as you know, nobody knows less about blockchain than I do. And then uh, second lowest on the totem pole is Devin. So uh, you've got your hands full today, but I'm hoping you can explain to us and to our audience at home and here in the audience, uh, what is blockchain? The easiest way to say it is it's a distributed ledger that records all transactions Every transaction takes place on the blockchain and therefore gets independently verified by other members of the blockchain. And, and that is very basic, right? There's all these other things of like, oh, some people run nodes. What's a node? I mean, and it's just, it goes, it goes on and on and there's development. And I, I won't lie, it does get a little convoluted. But the easiest way to say it is the blockchain exists to have independently verified transactions so that you don't need a third party when you are doing a financial transaction. Okay, so it, it's kind of addressing a problem that uh, most lay people like me probably aren't even considering. Like I, I swipe my credit card or I tap my credit card and I just assume it's automatic, but you're telling me there's an issue of trust in a transaction like that. Well, I'm telling you that for your, when you, when you do that, right, you swipe your credit card, I'm gonna go buy a cup of coffee. Um, your coffee shop pays a payment processor that charges them a percentage of that transaction, and they also charge Visa Chase charges them a chunk of that transaction too. So there's this whole racket of like literally your your only job is um like the the only existence of these companies is charging other people to verify <laughs> transactions, and that is a problem. But I wouldn't say that's one of the most you know 100 pressing problems as it pertains to money. I, I, have you ever? tried to do an international transaction? Have you ever tried to get money from, like I used to do contracting work for a company in Canada and it would take a week for me to get paid, right? Because I would, I would send the invoice and then they would submit it to their people and go through their banks and then it goes through and it comes into my bank account you know, a week later. It's, it's a total hassle to get money across international borders if you wanted to send it on the blockchain, depending on if you did it in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, whatever, whatever, I mean, it takes 60 minutes tops, but it could be as fast as, as one second. Okay, wow. Um, if I'm just regular Joe with money in the bank, just, you know, American dollars currency, can I take advantage of a blockchain to exchange money in that way? Yeah, I mean, so let's say I had a family member living in Greece. And I wanted to send them some money, but I didn't want to pay the United States federal government and I didn't want to pay the Greek federal government, right? I, a very easy thing I could do is I could, you know, get on my, my cell phone. I could create an account on Coinbase, which is, that's sort of like the, the Walmart or, you know, the, the Starbucks of um, internet money transactions, right? It's FBI insured. They report all of their transactions to the federal government. You have to pay taxes, on gains or you can write off losses on Coinbase. It's it's about as it's about as milk toast, about as vanilla as um like a lot of people in cryptocurrency actually don't like Coinbase. They think it's too corporate, oh. basically. But 
I could log on to Coinbase. I could put in my bank information, my credit card information. I could purchase, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. I could do it on the on the blockchain, and I could send a thousand dollars of Bitcoin to my relative in Greece. You know, whatever. You know, you're you're on hard times. You need a thousand dollars. Gets there within an hour. They cash it out. They sell it for I don't even know what 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 is the Greek currency? I I, I couldn't even. Tell. They could sell it for is, euros. Is it the dinar? Right? Dev, is it the dinar? Is it the drachma? Well, what what are those? I, it, so. Um, okay, the speed is is a clear advantage here. I guess, um, and apologies if this is a remedial question, but um, why can't it move so much faster on the blockchain? You mentioned a shared ledger earlier. I'm assuming that's cutting out a lot of middlemen, but it's not quite clear to me how. So it cuts out the middlemen of, of bank wiring, right? Banks, as they exist now, have existed... B- really unchanged for hundreds of years, right? The way that transactions occur via, you know, international banks, even being, even if you wanted to send someone a bank wire in the States, it costs you extra money. Mm-hmm. It's not, it certainly is not immediate, right? It, it takes a little while. And a lot of us are spoiled by PayPal where those transactions happen a lot faster. And really PayPal is sort of like the non-blockchain solution to to this problem, uh, which is why a lot of people, by the way, a lot of critics of of Bitcoin and of the blockchain in general would be like, well, you know, there are centralized ways to do this. And that word, that word centralized is actually really at the at the heart of cryptocurrency kind of in general, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these things is that a big idea is to take money away from governments and to put it in the hands of the people, right? Because no, no government says, Bitcoin is worth this. No government produces it, right? It is, right. It is, and the same is true with all these other coins, right? They are, they are privately created and the value is bestowed upon them, you know, based on what people value it at. Um, so I don't know if I answered that question. I might have just went off on it. No, 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 no. I, I, I would say you definitely did. Um, you know, I think, again, as a lay person here, one of my reservations about uh, blockchain or, or, or Bitcoin is... Um, you know, I just I don't really understand it. But if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, it seems like a lot of different industries could use blockchain now. And my experience as the end user is not really all that different. It's just much more efficient. Like I can keep going about my my way, sending money to Greece, for example. And and it's it's sure I'm not even aware of the change. It's just a net positive. Yeah. I mean, so so that is that is a key point, right, is that a lot of what Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies aims to do really just aims to make a lot of the things we do already frictionless, right? Because there is so much friction in, um, you know, sending a lot of these transactions. And really, the but the 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 TLDR, the too long didn't read, is there will only ever be 21 million bitcoins that exist. Bitcoins are mined by very advanced computers that basically trade electricity, the power that runs through them to solve very complex mathematical equations. It's called a hash rate. And every, um, oh, wow, I don't even know this. It's, it's based on how many Bitcoins get mined, but it, it becomes more difficult, like about every 18 months. It, it requires more power and fewer Bitcoins are able to be mined, which creates scarcity. Mm-hmm. And the whole, so the whole idea is 21 million Bitcoins exist. It becomes harder and harder to mine them. They become scarcer and scarcer 
as more people buy them, more people hold them, less people are selling them. And that is why you're seeing Bitcoin spike right now. That's why you're seeing everyone tweet about it because no one's selling. I, I don't know. I don't know one person right now who is selling their Bitcoin. It's, it's hard for me to imagine wanting to sell something that is so scarce. And, and so the, the, the whole idea is it's a store of value. It's a way to, because all money is, right, is a, a translation of the way we spend our time. We spend, a, we turn our time into dollars. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just kind of the representation of what money is. And Bitcoin is a way to make that time worth even more money. That's a really excellent way of, of putting something I've had a ton of difficulty understanding. Uh, one thing I understand is uh, uh, scarcity, uh, especially intentional scarcity. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a recovering supreme guy. I get it. I know what it's like hey. when you want something everyone else has and you can't get it. Um, so when you... Dude, I mean, that, that Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the, the 2011 era... Uh, five panel hats that Tyler Creator <laughs> was was sending out. Right, there was only they only made five thousand of them, but right. way more than five thousand kids got on hype beast and wanted them. And so, but but if you had them, it was worth whatever you wanted to be, because one would buy it from you for that price. Absolutely. Okay. So so when I'm when I'm investing in Bitcoin, um, you know, what am I really investing in? Like what what you know when I invest in Apple. I'm making a bet that Apple's going to continue to increase in value. I'm making a bet that they're going to continue making good products, hopefully, and the market will appreciate that and my investment will go up. Um, am I investing in scarcity when I put money in Bitcoin or am I investing also in, in blockchain and my belief in the blockchain and the way it replaces middlemen? So specifically with Bitcoin, you are investing in the idea that you were investing in scarcity when you're investing in Bitcoin, right? You are buying, I'm buying 0.5 Bitcoins. I'm buying 0.1 Bitcoins. I'm buying 0.005 Bitcoins, right? Um, whatever, you know, my, I think the first time I bought Bitcoin, I mean, it was a very long time ago, but I, I think it was literally like 0.012 or something. Like it was like $100 worth back when Bitcoins were worth, you know, only like 800 bucks or whatever. Right. Um, but then if you were, if, if you were to invest in, say, uh, Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency, it would be more in the idea of the blockchain because Ethereum is centralized, right? So it's it's like a business. There are people making decisions. They're actually, um, this was a very long time ago, but like in 2016, there was actually a crime that happened on the Ethereum blockchain where coins got stolen, right? So like, you know, $3.8 million or whatever of coins got stolen. And the people at Ethereum made the executive decision, we're going to roll back the blockchain. We're going to unverify all those transactions. So all those people got refunded and they got their money back and didn't get stolen, which sounds great, right? You're right. like, oh, wow. I mean, that's like, that's like a bank. That's what I want to do. I want my money to be protected. But then on the other hand, you say, well, my investment in this is still giving these people power who may or may not have my best interests at heart. Mm. And that would be the argument of someone who kind of like myself is more of a, a Bitcoin or, or bust first, right? Like sort of my, I, I see a lot of value in the whole idea of the blockchain, right? This is something that IBM uses, you know, one of the biggest uh, tech companies in the world. They're, they're using the blockchain to, uh, well, they're selling it, right? They're selling blockchain technology to help verify the creation of products, the, the, um, 
there's there's a very good word for me to use here like the 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 austerity that's not quite but uh, like the validity right that um that products are being shipped correctly that they are what they say they are right that they have the value that they say they are um so i i guess i would say if you want to invest in scarcity if you are a believer in the idea of scarcity that scarcity in and of itself creates value mm-hmm. you you'd be more of a bitcoin guy if you're more of like wow the idea of independently verified transactions sounds amazing to me maybe you'd be more of i mean there are, are thousands of cryptocurrencies that purport to do all sorts of different things and it's a big wormhole to go down if you ever really get interested in it i i when i first got into this stuff you know way back when i was actually more of a well the blockchain can change the world type person and i don't really know if i believe that as much these days interesting where does that cynicism come from well it come i don't know if it's cynicism but i think it's like so i have money to invest that i use in fantasy football right and i have money to invest that i use in the stock market and mutual funds and things like that but what i really want is i want something that no one could take away from me mm-hmm. and that's that's what bitcoin is to me i mean my my bitcoin and ethereum is all stashed on this little look this looks like a jump drive right? yeah right? yeah it is as far as i and can tell i'm the only one in the world yeah so so i'm the only one in the world that has the passcode to this and um the the passcode is written on a piece of paper that's in a safety deposit box and so i could get into it and i guess you know whoever else could get into my safety deposit box to theoretically get into it as well but outside of that the federal government couldn't take it from me you know someone couldn't rob me of this money and it is um you you hear this word immutable a lot yeah when you hear about uh, the blockchain because no one can change it no one no one can go in and say you did this transaction or you didn't do this transaction and that that idea of unchangeable and and um un like you can't meddle with it no one could meddle with it bill gates bill gates couldn't meddle with it and be like i want all of it right cuz cuz he couldn't get it right it's like when you go you buy some concert tickets and then you go to the concert and you show up there and they're like oh somebody already somebody already somebody, in somebody there already somebody that, literally literally um their uh, former former Grantland writer Jay Cassian Kang and Aaron Lammer used to do this podcast called The Coin Talk Show. And their theory is that Satoshi Nakamoto, who is the author of the Bitcoin white paper and who basically is, is the father and creator of Bitcoin, their theory is that Bitcoin arose out of a failed PayPal transaction or eBay transaction where this guy had an, e- had an eBay transaction, go poor, where he paid you know, X amount of dollars for a collectible or something he liked and PayPal wouldn't mediate the transaction and he ended up having to pay for something that wasn't what he wanted. Now, I mean, this is like fan fiction, right? But this is literally the stuff that Bitcoin was uh, sort of, the, that general realm is sort of the, the idea that that's the problem it's there to solve. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of fundamental irony that what makes the blockchain so uh, appealing is the fact that 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 level of security is essentially like intrinsic to the transactions like the 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 safety net there is that it's like part the structure of the blockchain itself like is the verification not the a third party or whatever it is but then on the other hand it's like 
you have to have your like USB safe and like you're constantly everyone's terrified of being hacked. Oh, and people's phones I mean, are being cloned and like <laughs> instant it's like five seconds and like your life savings is being like downloaded onto some like hacker's laptop. Like it's almost like the wild west of it is almost like terrifyingly insecure, right? Well, the the part that is not secure, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not worried about uh, about a hacker stealing my Bitcoin or anything. But the part that you do worry about is everyone who has ever sent a meaningful amount of money on the blockchain, right? Anyone who's at like you get on and you're like, OK, I'm going to send it to my wallet or, you know, I'm going to send someone money. It is because you're not rolling it back. If you if you type in a Z and you're we're supposed to type a two mm-hmm. or you're, you type a J because it's, it's done via like QR code. Um, through like Bitcoin addresses and they're just long strings of, you know, alphanumeric numbers and symbols and everything. I mean, everyone who's ever done it has been sweating bullets the whole time. <laughs> and you, you pull it up literally on blockchain.com. You can watch your transaction be confirmed by all the different, you know, on the blockchain, right? Because it's, it's all about verifying the transaction. They verify where you're sending it to. They verify you have the, the, the Bitcoin that you're sending. And yeah, I mean, you're you're sweating bullets the whole time. So like the the only part that I feel insecure about is when like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to I'm going to send $5,000 from Coinbase to my wallet and uh if you know, if I if I mess up the address of my wallet, I just vaporize uh, you know, all that money and there's there's not a customer service line I can call to get it back. That that's that's on me. Wow. That's interesting. I remember reading the first time I ever heard about bitcoin i think i read about it in like a vice article or something and this was like way back like way before it was worth 800 dollars. and it was like you had to go and like fax your social security number somewhere and then you had to basically like i don't know i feel like the guy was like fedexing like cash to some like location (laughs) where and then you would they would basically somehow do the transaction for you so it was in a weird way almost like the opposite like you just had to have total faith that the process you were getting into was going to work and that whoever was like getting your cash was like actually going to like send you like the bitcoin and stuff i remember thinking it was pretty interesting but like the number of steps it was like i mean it made like depositing on like an offshore you know like sports betting book like it made that look like child's play yeah the the early years of bitcoin were the why I mean it's very corporate now. Like I'm sitting here talking to you guys, and I'm like, I could like if I got on the cell like the phone with my grandma, I could instruct her, and in 15 minutes I could have her do a Bitcoin transaction. Like we could figure <laughs> it out. And my grandma's not even super tech savvy. I mean, tech savvy enough to like you know get on the internet on her phone or whatever, but it's it's not hard, right? It's it's very like who do you know who doesn't at least have a passing familiarity with Bitcoin? But like it really did used to be like straight up. The wild, wild west. So to to take it back to the blockchain and this idea of the the shared ledger, like I've never been to uh, what did you say it was blockchain.com? So uh, let's say I'm an artist and I. I, I make a comic online and I want to do a limited edition comic. Uh, it's digital, you know, anyone who wanted to cheat it yeah. could, could print it or take a picture of it. But I want to say there's 500 
original copies of the Solis Report comic, could I somehow utilize blockchain to limit the number of people who received it? And if that person wanted to exchange it with someone else, they could, but I would still limit the amount of people who had it? Yeah, this, so the, the concept of digital art and verifying, like, because, you know, art fraud, art theft, it, this is a huge thing in the world, right? Um, that is one of the first applications that people started applying to the blockchain. I'm not super well versed in it. Like, I'm not a big art guy, but I know that that specific example of the comic books thing is already an application um, that has been used for it, right? That, that people, because um, the, the core theory of, or, or the core principle behind Ethereum is something called the smart contract which is exactly what it sounds like, which is contracts that execute based on both parties fulfilling what they said on the contract. Mm. Um, and again, this is this is even above my head of like, I sort of loosely understand this, but I don't consider myself like an expert or a scholar on these things anyways. But yeah, I mean, digital art, uh, there was something called uh, CryptoKitties that was uh, a huge thing back in 2017 during the first like crypto explosion where... Um, people were buying, breeding, and uh, you know, auctioning off these literally millions of dollars worth of these crypto kitties. And uh, yeah, I mean, I never, I never, I never owned a kitty. <laughs> they were, uh, they were. It was very real out there. You might have talked about this before, but did, did were you ever a Bitcoin miner? Did you ever get into? Did you have your like little setup venting out? So your apartment wasn't like no, 5, because I never even I never even from the from the the time that like Bitcoin existed, I never even had like a, a desktop laptop to do it. Now I did I did set up my college laptop to mine Zcash and Monero, which is they were um they were like privacy coins and and actually oh, okay. one of those two Monero I I don't I'm like not even that much in the the altcoin game these days but those are those were worth a lot of money at one point but even my even my crappy college laptop was able to make you know a couple hundred bucks every every month or so mining wow. mining uh, these altcoins i uh i invested in a man's coin for the original release and i understand they've appreciated significantly uh, among degenerate uh, man's coin collectors so <laughs> i'm waiting to see how high that one goes um, did you grab one yourself? I imagine you could get one, even if you don't have one yet. Oh, I do. It's, it was right on my desk. I wish I had it here to show it off. I think it's probably, it's probably sitting somewhere in my drawer, but Pete, Pete did send me one, um, after, uh, after the last run. I, I didn't get one of the OG ones, so. <laughs> um, well, uh, Dave's, I think you've done a really good job of, uh, demystifying, um, something that was kind of daunting, at least for me. Um, I don't know that I could explain it to someone the way you did, but I would at least be able to know what someone was talking about now. Um, uh, before uh, we wrap it up, I actually have a reader question for you, a fan of the show. Uh, we announced you were coming on and we got a, a question here. It's from um, Peter O. Uh, would you rather sell all of your Bitcoin today or become a Tennessee Titans fan for life? I would rather show up to whatever the Tennessee Titans stadium is called in full body paint with like with a Derrick Henry, like Derrick Henry's name and number tattooed on my Bitcoin at this point in time. 
Like I, I truly, I truly could never. I like, I, I don't know how people do it. I've never, I, John, I've never sold a dime. Not, not one. I can't, I can't do it. I can't because it's hard enough to get it in the first place. Like I'm not, I'm not made of money, you know. Like it's hard enough to acquire it in the first place. I can never imagine saying goodbye to it. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, man. Um, I'd love to have you on uh, for the comedy portion of the show if you ever have the time, man. I think it'd be a blast. Yeah, I will. Uh, we'll, we'll have to line it up sometime. I will. Uh, I'll come in and. Uh, I'm not very funny though. Everyone knows I steal all my jokes from people. Uh, <laughs> us too. Funny. Us that's, too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's our shit too. <laughs> Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of even 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Wow, that was so nice of him to come on and to be so patient and explain it to us. Like, I really appreciate that. Did you learn something, Dev? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone loves Davis and we wanted to have him on the show for a while. So it's cool that he was able to bring his expertise. Absolutely. You know, I really am going to make um, a small investment on oh, John, base, we, uh, later today. Are we expecting a phone call? I think uh, this is a Philly number. Should, all right. Should we just take this? Oh, I, I recognize this voice. Uh, how are you, sir? How are you coping? Not too well. You see, I've been in a medically induced COVID coma since October. Feels like crap, Devin. Not great. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Wait, October? Uh, you have missed a lot. You, you have bet, missed a lot. You bet your goddamn ass I have, Dev. I woke up and come to find out I've been the victim of voter fraud right here in Philly. Recount the votes in Pennsylvania. Wait, somebody, somebody voted for you while you were in your medically induced coma. That's right, Devin. My piece of shit older brother Tommy stole my vote, cast it while I was convalescing, and worst of all, he voted opposite of how I would have voted. This is, uh, this, is, this is some fairly important breaking news here. There's actually a, a lot of people who might want to talk to you. <laughs> wait, so oh wait, you're you're talking about some kind of Philadelphia cheesesteak election here? Yeah, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, all right, that's that's big news too. That's uh
Wow, can you believe that, Devin? A repeat caller, that is so cool. It's nice of Frank to, to, to call in two times, don't you think? Yeah, I'm glad that he's out of that coma. Uh, I hope that he gets. I hope that he he gets his due process uh, and his day in court for you know, Tony Luke's. <laughs> it's like they say, you've got to stop the steal. There was voter fraud there. I I get it. I completely get it. But uh, I don't know about you. I could use a palate cleanser after all that cheesesteak talk. And who better than establish the runs and ships chasing the and stat chasing's very own Pat Corain. I think Establish the Runs is Mason Rudolph's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, folks, from what you've all been waiting for, put your hands together for Mr. Pat Corain. Wow, Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us live in studio. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thanks for having me, guys. I've never done a podcast with a live audience before. This is pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, John spent some time saying this audience wasn't good looking for some reason pre-show. Whoa, but whoa, whoa, they, whoa, I, I, I whoa. Don't, I don't know what he's talking about. You guys look great. We are, we are known for having one of the most attractive audiences in all of fantasy football uh, talk show comedy. Okay, so, um, Pat... When people think Pat Corain, immediately they think ship chasing. At least uh, I do. Uh, but how did how did you get your start with uh, podcasting, with Rotoviz Radio, and and with your longtime podcast partner Pete? Yeah, so I, I've been uh, I was writing for Rotoviz for a little while and um, started to get more interested in doing some of the podcasts. Um, Matt Friedman was bringing some people on to do editing, so. Got involved with that and then started doing Road of His Radio uh, originally with Ben Gretsch. And so that was that was pretty cool. Kind of took that show over from Matt and John Moore um, as they moved on. So that's kind of the Road of His Radio part of it. And then I was doing all this editing and Fantasyland came out with their first episode. And I had commented on how awesome I thought it was. And it turned out they were looking for someone to help edit the show. So Matt and Pete reached out to me and I just talked about like what I thought I could do. And I kind of got too into editing. You know, I got like deep in the, the rabbit hole of trying to make all the, the audio sound as good as I possibly could. And yeah. that really helped for that show because it's a very highly produced show where you're taking a bunch of different interviews and editing it down to, you know, maybe you take an hour interview and only use like three minutes of the whole thing, highly edited. So that's how me and Pete started working together. And we did an episode on high stakes where the whole point of the episode was like, we will kind of like be your view into this world. And we went out to Vegas, drafted our first high stakes team and chronicled it the whole time and made this whole tight episode about it. And then we kind of off of that experience, it ultimately ended up leading to ship chasing, which is just me and Pete kind of week by week chronicling uh, our foray into all of these high stakes leagues and it's gotten to the point now where we have a whole a whole portfolio of teams and um you know we're kind of we've been doing it for a number of years now but that's that's how it got to here that's awesome so initially it was just like a single episode no it, it was we took one episode and that kind of that episode built and built um and even at the time we did we had so much audio from the high stakes episode that we ended up doing another show 
using a lot of that audio about co-managing. And then we talked to a bunch of people who co-managed teams. It wasn't necessarily kind of just high stakes specific, but there were there are you know many other people who who co-manage high stakes teams. So we had a lot of good stories from that. Um, and you know we had a ton of audio of me and Pete arguing about taking you know various dusty players. Um, there's a famous Buck Allen argument oh, that we that we recorded. Oh, God. <laughs> so lots of good co-managing stuff that. Uh, you know, so I think immediately we knew we had we had something that was going to drive a lot of content for us. I definitely, I mean, because when you think of like interesting podcast content, I immediately think, what about co-managing? Things? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I get John and I co-managed the team this offseason. One of the worst experiences of both of our lives. I think we would agree. Nightmarish. You have to look. If you're going to co-manage your team, there has to be like some overlap in philosophy. And with Devin and I, in terms of fantasy football, there just there just isn't any. Uh, uh, where do you think? What do you, you mean? You, it, you guys are both Brodovis guys. There's no there's no overlap here. That's why we thought it would work well. well. We thought, how hard could this be? First of all, I've listened to podcasts. I know other people do this successfully. This is a thing, co-managing. And I was like, John, why wouldn't we have a team? And we got through like 10, 10 rounds. We both wanted to kill ourselves. John was like, you take the wheel from here. I'm, I'm done. I, I, I had I, I Listen, we both like Raheem Mostert. We both like <laughs> Raheem Mostert. I think we were feeling really good about Matt Breida. It's Breida, right? I, I've heard Breida. I think it's Breida. I think it's Brita. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they call him the cheetah. He's fast. I think it's Brita. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, we just, we just, no, we don't, we don't get along. But that, that's, that's another story altogether. Uh, uh, how would you describe uh, your drafting style in contrast to Pete's? And how do you make that work, Pat? Well, yeah, I mean, I think our drafting style overall is pretty similar. Um, there's not a ton of, discussion really about like the overall drafting strategy we both really like zero running back we're both very happy to take like an elite running back you know if we get a top five pick and then move away from running back you know kind of do the modified zero running back thing we both really like that there's really there's i guess one draft this year where we had taken cmc 101 and aaron jones fell to us at the 212 and we took a second running back that's about as running back heavy as we get and then we i don't think we took another running back till round 10 so that philosophy is is already kind of in place, but there's of course lots and lots of little things of like where do you take quarterback this year and and that that type of stuff is usually pretty easy to hash out. It does then when you get to like player specific things, that's where we'll tend to like go back and forth a lot. Where it's like I really like targeting this player in this range, and Pete has a guy that he likes better, and we tend to. It t- that'll take the most time, but like he'll talk me off some guys. I'll talk him into some guys or whatever. So, and if you can't talk him into it, you just accidentally disconnect and draft him anyway. That's right. So, <laughs> what I recommend is always use Bluetooth headphones for your draft because Bluetooth headphones are unreliable and may cut out while you're on the clock, and you may already have two of your favorite players in the queue when that happens. And then you'll just get them. So, you know, that's just a little a little pro tip. In those in those drafts where you're drafting from the turn, you get a huge amount of Bluetooth uh, tech, technological Bluetooth error equity. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nice. 
Uh, you talk about specific players, and um, obviously, Ronald Jones. Com- Jones, excuse me, Ronald Jones. <laughs> Ronald Jones comes to mind. Do you get tired? Do you get? I mean, are are you happy to be associated with Ronald Jones at this point to the level that you are? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of so. The way the Ronald Jones thing has gone down is has been fun because, like, so for example. Last year, even more than this year, I think I think Pete's spirit was broken a little bit this year on Ronald Jones, so he didn't really push back as much as last year. <laughs> where last year we actually he had created for us Rojo cards, where it's like we got to that was kind of like the card we played to be like this is my player, you know. Oh. I was going to use mine on Rojo, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's kind of like the give and take of co-managing. This year, uh. I, I ended up talking him into a few, a few many, too many Ronald Jones shares uh, where I think he basically, he kind of got me back for talking him into one time we took Ronald Jones by bringing Ben Gretsch and Sean Siegel on the show, who then, when Ronald Jones was right there for us to select him, we ended up taking, I think, Will Fuller instead, so it ended up being the right move. But I thought they would be on my side, they ended up being on Pete's side. So, But I think overall the, the Ronald Jones thing it ends up being kind of fun because like I'm trying to talk Pete into drafting Ronald Jones on our, on our high stakes team. So I'm not like touting Ronald Jones to the people like you guys all need to draft. I'm the, the content is me being like, dude, come on, let's do it. And Pete being like, God, no, I don't want to. And so there's like, I don't get like vitriol back for that. It ends up being kind of fun, like kind of win or lose. You know, and hey, we got the three 100-yard games. So, you know, for as late as you could get Ronald Jones after the Fournette signing, I, I think on some of our teams, we got him in the ninth round. Or one of our teams, I think that's the latest. We got him in the ninth round. We got him in the seventh round to start the season. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing right now, and I don't mind being associated with him. I wish he looked a little bit better catching the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. So does Tom Brady. I know you're also uh, associated with Establish the Run. Uh, what are you doing over there? What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing Dynasty Rankings for Establish the Run. And I did a bunch of articles uh, preseason doing kind of like uh, I wrote a lot of stuff about zero running back, wrote about wide receiver targets, um, tight end targets, all that stuff. And uh, during the season, I've been doing a podcast with Mike Leone called Establish the Edge which has been a lot of fun. Mike's super, super sharp. So we talk kind of like about whatever. It kind of rotates a little bit. Um, last week we talked about correlation. And, and just kind of, I basically just interviewed Mike about all the different ways to think about correlation when you're building GPP lineups. This week we talked about preparing your high-stakes teams for the playoffs. We've talked a lot about Dynasty. We get pretty deep into Dynasty Um on that podcast. I'd say if anything, it's kind of the primary focus there might be dynasty, but we we kind of mix it up and just talk about various interesting topics that kind of make sense at that particular time. Pat, it's a little tacky, but um, when I won my first GPP and I think it was like 240 bucks or something funny like that, um, I felt like I was the man and the best gambler in the world. And Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you took down a slightly bigger uh, contest recently. Is that true? 
Yeah, I took down the Engage 8. Um, God, I forget what week, actually, but it's the week where Derrick Henry went off against uh, the Texans, and I had a Houston double stack with the big dog, so... Were you sweating yeah. the whole time? How? What was the shape of that? Like, did you know you had locked it up uh, by the early afternoon, or, or what? Yeah. That, so the weird thing about that was the sweat was like kind of low key. Like I had. So the way the the way that afternoon went is that I was like doing well, but it was like kind of one of those classic things where I'm like in the mix, everything kind of needs to go right, but it probably won't. And then everything went right. Like at the same time, like Justin Jefferson and Julio Jones, I had Justin Jefferson had a big long touchdown. Then we had the Derrick Henry run, then was followed immediately by Will Fuller long touchdown. So like all of a sudden I was like fifth or sixth or something. And then I had, uh, I had miles Gaskin and the dolphins. No, I had miles Gaskin, I think only left. And other people had the Dolphins D. So I didn't have time really to even think about late swapping or anything because uh, it was like I didn't I didn't really have any time. Like the, the Dolphins game started only a few minutes after that. And it ended up being that, like, I was the only one with Gaskin. Uh, I was the most points with a Gaskin lineup. And I could tell that. I knew that by looking at, like, the four or five teams ahead of me that – they just either had nothing or the Dolphins D. And so I ended up sweating Gaskin against the Dolphins D. But the Dolphins D only, they like almost outscored Gaskin because that, uh, that was the Jets with Flacco. And so I almost lost it on that. But I, it was like one of those things where you kind of knew Gaskin was going to outscore him. And I wasn't, I was kind of pacing around and stuff, but it was like a pretty, it wasn't like my heart was in my throat. And I've, I've since had sweats where like I thought, everything was going to come together and then it doesn't and that's much more heartbreaking although i will say if the dolphins d had cost me like five thousand dollars i would have <laughs> i would have been crying <laughs> i uh, it was the first person you told someone in person or was it twitter who knew first well i had i i know i had messaged with pete and i was calling my brother mike like i was telling him like dude i've got a sweat going so you know i was going through that and uh I told my girlfriend, Brittany, I was like, you know, I think I might win a bunch of money here. And she's just like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I really might. <laughs> so that she, uh, she took a, I had to tell her a few times. <laughs> That's fun. That's, uh, uh, is Brittany uh, supportive of your fantasy football endeavors? Very. Yeah, very. She has to put up with, uh, you know, we're in a Brooklyn apartment here where, it's laid out basically like two big studios. So there's like literally there's an entrance to the room I'm in now and there's an entrance from the hall to the bedroom as well. And then each room is kind of like a big square. So we have TVs and like a couch in both of the rooms. So you and they both are they're joined by the kitchen and, and then the bathrooms off the kitchen. So you can kind of like sequester yourself into just half the apartment and you have everything you need so that's kind of how but we don't have like really enough space to support all of the constant <laughs> reporting that i'm doing in the nfl season so she's the same <laughs> shout out it's to like Brady. a little hotel it's like a hotel suite 
Yeah, it's like a hotel suite. Where you have that like little adjoining door. Right, yeah. right. Dev, you're famously a, a Brooklynite. Is it Brooklynite or Brooklyner? I don't know. Devin, you've been here longer. What I, is it? I mean, I don't really use... Well, I never say Brooklyner, so I would say it's not that. Okay. I mean, Brooklynite is the more common word. If, But, like, I mean, I don't really... I mean, I don't self-describe that way. I guess it's like one—it's <laughs> so. like one of those things where Angelinos don't really say, "I'm an Angelino." It's just kind of right, a pejorative right. that San Diegans use. Uh, <laughs> is there any? Is that? I don't really know of any cities where people say, "I'm a," you know, Chicagoan or something. It's Chicagoan. Right. Um, I'll tell you, I went to school uh, in Indiana, in Bloomington, Whoa. Indiana, and people out there will tell you I'm a Hoosier and a Mina. Okay. Um, and uh, same thing with Huskers. My fiance is from Nebraska. And yeah, I'm a Husker. I'm a Husker. And many of them are literally Huskers, of course. That's true. <laughs> so they, they they do mean it as well. So yeah, that makes sense. You have that connection there. You embrace the you embrace the term maybe a little more easily. I think Brooklynite uh is the word. How long have you been in Brooklyn then, Pat? I assumed you'd been there a long time. I assumed growing. No, I haven't. I, I moved here in September. What? Yeah, well I moved from Manhattan. Oh, okay. I've been okay. in New York for uh, like uh, nine, almost nine years. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you're a local at this point. And Dev, you've been out there for 15, 20 years? Yeah, for I've been here forever too. But I've been in Brooklyn the whole time. I live in Kell Gardens. Nice. And I've been here a long time. And I'm, I was, I lived in like South Park Slope. That used to be a thing. Now it's all, uh-huh. I used to live on 15th Street and like 5th Ave. Oh, uh, that's like that's like decently close to other half brewery, isn't it? Uh, maybe where? Yeah, wait, where? Where is that? Yeah, I just assume Pat I marks everything. West. Do you? Just, yeah, I do. I do mark it by the breweries, by breweries like, and speakeasies. <laughs> yeah, and there's that uh, <laughs> Royal Palms is over. Uh, that might be more like True Park Slope. You know that that bar, Royal Palms. Yeah, yeah. I I played in that league for. Well, I mean, it doesn't. It's like closed now, but. Right. Um, yeah. It's like the perfect place to get COVID. There's. <laughs> yeah. It's a literally a stand-up shuffleboard place, John, and it's like, it's like decorated, uh, like a Florida, like retirement home. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know. Sounds There's pretty like posh. The, yeah, it's it's pretty great. You, you were in a league? Devin is a champion, yeah, actually. Or, uh, well, you were competing for the championship, as I recall. We, we always have busted out of the playoffs. But yeah, our, our, our team, Shufflepuff, famously, has, has been in the league. And now they opened one in Chicago, and there's also a Shufflepuff there. Uh, and their te- their, that team had, like won the whole thing the first year. So we like instantly went to being like the inferior uh, oh, Shufflepuff no. team. Yeah, it's sad. Terrible. But if, if uh, yeah, if it if it ever um, you know, COVID goes away and and it opens back up, then we'll be back in business. But yeah, no, that place is great. They in fact are broadcasting their uh, recent championships on YouTube, so people can oh, right. <laughs> people can check it out. Okay. Now I'm doing advertising for the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, it's uh, that would, I would say isn't good. I would describe it as being in Guanas, but it's near okay. threes. Oh yeah, I like yeah. Yeah, Threes is solid. Threes is one of the better um 
it's like one of the better places to be. Although I don't think they have all that good of beer. I like every time I'm at threes, I just get whatever other New York breweries they have visiting. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, fair. I think that's but, fair. You know, it's not bad. It's just you guys are asked in the show sheet. You asked me what I'm most hipstery about. That would be it. Yeah, you. You're definitely uh, 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 dropping some hints about that one. Uh, is that is that what prompted you to move to Brooklyn from Manhattan? Better beer? Yeah, better beer. <laughs> no, no, I'm not that much of a beer snob. Who can say? Who can say? What what um what uh, prompted your your move? There? Part of it was just uh, I, the the two main reasons were to get some more outdoor space because we do this has a backyard and we're right south of Fort Greene Park. So, you know, we've got that really nice park right there. Where we were before was, it was like right on the, the border between the Lower East Side and Chinatown. And there was a ton of things I loved about that area, but almost all of them were indoor things. You know, it's like access to all of these cool little tiny rooms, you know, that either serve food or drinks. And all of that, we're like, that's all going to suck for the next year. There's most of it won't just be open or you're going to be outside on the streets, but these are small streets where the trash is put out on the curb and they're not like the most ideal streets to be hanging out on all the time. Mm. And the outdoor area that are, that's available in that neighborhood is really kind of like, you know, um, astroturfed areas and stuff. There's really very little true green space. So, and also I had been in that area for six years at that point. So uh, just felt like a good time to try out a new neighborhood. And uh, so far, I love Fort Greene. It's been a good choice. You're known, I mean, for, for, for people who know their Pat Green facts, you're known as kind of a speakeasy guy. Is that fair to say? A speakeasy guy? Yeah, we did. Did really enjoy the speakeasies here. Um, but like I said, I mean, it's hard to do the true speakeasy thing. You know, like there's a speakeasy right where I used to live that's like inside of a very popular like brunch place, mm. which itself is down kind of this secret alley. So you walk down a secret alley into like this place that feels like almost like a wooden lodge. And then within that, you like go into another hallway and then tell them you're there for like their speakeasy. They take you upstairs inside like what feels like a secret hallway and into a very small room where they have $20 cocktails. Nice. <laughs> which are which are quite good. <laughs> but the whole thing is ridiculous. And, you know, that type of stuff is not really happening now. But what we do have around the corner from us in Fort Greene is this, um, this spot that it's, it's called Dick and Jane's. It's, it's really good, really good cocktails. And they are starting to have a lot of outdoor area. And I think I'm going to be there quite a bit this winter. But <laughs> I don't know if you'd really call it a speakeasy at this point. It's a cocktail bar. It's operating outside. I dig it. Um, the most obscure speakeasy mechanism I've experienced here in San Diego is um, it's called Raised by Wolves. And on the outside... Uh, they didn't even try to make it look like a, a normal bar or restaurant. It's like an apothecary with uh, mm. these uh, potions and salves and balms. So very Harry Potter. And then you uh, uh, sit down in this chair, which lowers you back into the fireplace. And you're walking through these mirrored hallways. 
and then you step into an Uber and it takes you back to your house uh, and then you drink whatever's in the fridge <laughs> and it's like 50 bucks for the whole experience. It's fantastic. That sounds great. Yeah. I, I, um, I always accuse Devin of being a hipster and it, it, it never goes well, but I think I get into trouble because we're not really defining what hipster is. And to you Brooklynites, I think I think hipster is like kind of this undesirable thing, uh, but I'm using it more in the way uh, a hipster is an expert on a certain maybe obnoxious subject, but it's fun to talk about. You could be like a a coffee guy, and and you'll know all about uh, the beans and where they came from and how they were treated and how it impacts uh, 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 the taste as it hits your palate and so on. Um, uh, uh, Dev, just full full stop. What is it, man? Are you a hipster or not? And if you are, what about? Yeah, I would say I'm not. I would say I'm not a hipster, but I I understand the accusations. I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to live in New York and not seem like you are one to people uh, who don't live here because just like you talk about New York things and people think you're being pretentious, even if it's like if you were actually here, you wouldn't think it was cool or whatever. You would just be like, that's a normal restaurant that's like immediately next to your apartment or whatever but you know the more you describe it it's like people think you're being a hipster i i think so new yorkers new yorkers probably brooklynites especially think that new york and brooklyn are the center of the universe i'll tell you what devin does he'll casually mention oh did you see in the um in the new york times no like you think I read a newspaper? Yeah, that's let also. Alone, let alone your newspaper, the New York Times. I yeah. read. I read famous the... local newspaper. That yeah. Good. <laughs> I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that becomes trendy here that I that I don't like in the first place, but then and then later, you know, other cities like copy it, and then it's uncool in that city, but it was already uncool here. And so I'm like incredibly over it because people will be like, oh, do you know about this? And I'll be like, yeah, that sucks. It's, it also sucked here like a year ago. And then you <laughs> do, do you really not see how that is the most? But you're not being a hipster because it's not like you were into it before. You're like super tired of it. It's the most, not only does that thing I like suck, but it sucked when you found out about it, which was well, a year ago. You, I didn't say you liked it. I'm just saying like that to, to me, that's, <laughs> It, Pat, Pat, what do you think? Pat, you're obviously a, a beer snob, a, a booze yeah, snob. Yeah, are you are you a hipster? Do you wear it? No, I don't think I'm a hipster, and I've been in Brooklyn for like two months, so <laughs> it's too soon for me to become a hipster. I will I will say, my buddy came over on Sunday to watch football. We've got this outdoor setup, so we can we can do that. But uh, he he arrived late. He arrived late because the bike light on his single speed bike died while he was in i believe crown heights for a flash rave no that yeah then he then he crashed out there and then he borrowed he found someone that would let him borrow a bike light so he could he could bike over on a single speed to hang so at that point i thought this is pretty goddamn hipster <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. fair that is fair yeah uh yeah we can talk about that. i would say i do think that like the hipster meaning is like shifting like it went from like a sort of scenester thing where it was like 
who are the people who like really want to be the cool kids and are like they're really doing the most to like stand out and be part of the scene and as it's become more of like a a little bit more of a bougie thing and more of a consumerist thing we are slowly seeing the term hipster shift into this thing that's like the people that are doing the least like you're just <laughs> describing like oh people who wear flannels and don't shave and have generally poor hygiene <laughs> yeah that's like hipster okay it's like slowly slowly shift oh flip-flops that guy's a hipster i don't know i don't know yeah when i first moved here it was like the hipster look was like skinny jeans Mm. and like you can't there was like a real feel to it maybe a beanie you know but it was not you were kind of standing out the hipsters from kind of the rest of like new yorkers it wasn't like you're a hipster because you're in new york it's a hipster because you chose to be a hipster and most of those people live in new york Mm, 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 mm. Fair, fair. Was a time when you could spot a hipster, and now you've all just been blindly I'm grouped together. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about this whole hipster thing. What, what are we doing? No, 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 I said, like, here I am. I'm Senator McCarthy on the hipster hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and how do we find these? Yeah. <laughs> That's how do you fair. To find them, John. Yeah, yeah, we're taking way too extensive notes on this. He's like, okay, the fl- there's a flash rave. Yeah, so we follow more. the single speed bikes. <laughs> I, I just. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's, you know, L.A. and New York are the only cities that make me feel like a second-class citizen here in San Diego. Not by anything that you guys are doing, but uh, you do get the trends faster than I do. Um, So this stuff is interesting to me. Pat, you mentioned earlier um, that you, uh, like many of us, maintain a a day job. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, that's that is the case. Have you gone to any lengths to prevent your coworkers or bosses from finding out just how involved you are in the fantasy football community? I haven't. I haven't gone to any lengths. Um, it's sort of, I think, maybe a failure of my own uh, ability to getting gain exposure that I haven't <laughs> <laughs> found out, like, whatever. But I mean, everyone that I work with that really knows me knows that I'm into fantasy football, and I don't you know, I don't go to any attempt to kind of hide that. And uh, it's it often is something that I'll kind of connect with my coworkers about, you know, because like this time of year, like there was a guy that was kind of new to the team last year and he's like, who do I keep? And so you kind of, you can kind of, I, I think I told him, I might have told him not to keep Lamar Jackson. And it was actually a pretty rough oh, year no. between us. So oh, I wonder no. if, uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember who he asked me. But, uh, that, but you know, you kind of, you gotta. It's it's a talking point for a lot. A lot of people have at least some interest in fantasy football. So if you're gonna have like some obsessive side gig, then uh, it's a, it's a decent one to be able to talk about at work. You know, something I wanted to bring up while you were on, and this is kind of a special thing for all three of us. A highly funny. Not super popular, but extremely funny website, uh, Pat, that you and your brother, uh, Mike, put together called Rotoblurb. Rotoblurb.com. For those of you who haven't checked it out, it's up. Like, check it out. It's really funny, honestly. Um, I love that shit. 
uh, we steal like half of those blurbs for our jokes and we can't find them. I'll just go on there and <laughs> pick an old blurb and, and that's that's going in the monologue. Um, how'd you how'd you think of this? Like, where did it come from? This is Mike's idea. This is Mike's uh, idea. Sort of. So it's just it's like a parody of kind of the Roto World, Roto Wire type of like blurb, but it's a joke, you know, so you it's the whole thing's a bit. And we had Pete Overzet doing it with us, too. And you got it was ended up being uh, a lot of fun. We really were doing it mostly last summer um, at the height of of Roto blurbing. Pete did one about DK Metcalf. And DK Metcalf was lining up all the receivers in order of height <laughs> so he could show how much bigger he was than everyone. That's right. And the style that we had chosen from this for this website was like very much the old school news sitey thing of like where you had the initial you had the headline, then like the news, and then like the analysis. Like Roto World doesn't look like that now. It's like almost like the headline and then just the analysis. Right. But we kind of had it structured like that. But it kind of, I feel like it, it registered to people as being real at some point, at some times. And we did get Chris Wesley <laughs> sharing that particular blurb <laughs> as if it was real. Like we weren't trying to trick anybody, but you know, he like shared that one. And, uh, and then like it became kind of a joke on the show. They brought it up that, you know, like he, he had been, there was some fake news that he had been sharing. You know? <laughs> So we, you know, he, we were like, and and Chris, we had we did the Fantasyland episode uh, on Chris um, uh, as he battled cancer. Mm-hmm. So so Chris, we were like, he messaged us, being like, "What what is this?" The boys reminisced about Roto Blab for some time. And inevitably, the subject turned to Adam Gase. Watch, by the time we push this episode out, which will probably be the Saturday after this one, he's going to be gone, right? Like, he'll be gone. He's I don't think so. I think they realize that they need the 101, and he's their way to get it. <laughs> he's the I'm scapegoat. Not kidding. Really? He's the scapegoat. I mean, they literally don't need... I mean, the whole point is that anyone could do what he's doing, going 0-16, but... They do need someone to blame and to take the heat for and like an Owen 16. Nobody wants to sign up to be the interim guy who they're like, you're the interim guy, but you cannot win a game. Like they don't have to worry about with that with Adam Gase. They're just like, <laughs> let him keep run, running things, you know, and then that'll be that. And then he'll be gone and they'll be like, you know, this guy obviously was the worst coach uh, in NFL history and he's gone and we're turning the page. Yeah, and then everyone can celebrate, and it'll finally feel like, okay, because right now they're Jet fans. Like, Jets fans, they feel like, yes, we're going to get rid of Adam Gase this offseason. But he's still there. Yeah. He might – there's a there's a slimmest of chances that maybe this guy won't end up leaving. <laughs> and if he doesn't end up leaving, like, what are the Oh, my God. Who knows? Maybe four years going to look like? He's gonna... It could be terrible, you know? And you're just looking ahead of what these next four years could be, and it's like, what if this guy doesn't leave? So the fact that he just leaves <laughs> and nothing else changes, even if we're sitting here in the status quo, but – he's gone, mm-hmm. then the future looks so much brighter. I'm talking about Adam Gates. <laughs> no, it's definitely true. I mean, it's fun watching the Jets fans 
like tilt in real time on Twitter and stuff as the Jets come close to potentially winning the game by accident. And they're like freaking out with the Patriots like needing a game winning drive and then the field goal. Like it was hilarious the reactions everyone was having to like every single play on that last drive as the Patriots almost weren't able to beat them. And seemingly, I mean, it was hard to tell, but seemingly both teams going back and forth, like one upping each other, trying to throw the game, like 12 yeah. men on the field for no reason, right out of the Belichick to Vrabel. I mean, that's in the coaching tree right there. But yeah, everyone was like, okay, that was an intentional 12 men on the field. That was an intentional 15 second runoff of the clock for no reason when you have like a timeout and then like still need points to take the lead. Like it was very interesting. Yeah, no, I think that there was Belichick was maybe trying to lose that game and Belichick is a great coach, but he's not going to lose a game better than Adam Gase. And that's why he's still there. <laughs> it is true. I mean, everyone, it's one. It's like you said, it's a non-zero thing. Like everyone knows, Adam Gase should not be the coach of the New York Jets beyond this year. But the fear is real because, you know, even though it's like everyone knows it except the owner, or whatever. Yeah, but if you're the GM, right? It's like. I don't want to fire Gase because then there's a lot of time for them to think about firing you. Uh-huh. If you keep yeah. Gase around, he's cover. Exactly. <laughs> it's a balancing act as the GM. You're like, how long is the wait? Can it last on this guy? Where he's just the 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 shield. You know, I can never be blamed for anything as long as he's here until you get blamed for keeping him around so long. Right. So you just got to get out at the right minute. Yeah. Right. Well, Pat, I appreciate you taking as much time as you did uh, to come on the show and talk mostly about hipsters. Um, really did enjoy that. But uh, I don't know if you've heard the show before. Uh, we have a requirement of each of our guests. And at this point in the show, the guest has to tell a pocket joke. Basically, the kind of joke that uh, you might trade on the playground growing up uh, from a time when you couldn't look up the joke yourself. Uh, 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 do you have one of those ready to go by chance? I do, yeah. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about Ronald Jones here. So, you know, you might be surprised to hear this. But, John, I, I think Leonard Fournette is looking like he'll be a league winner this year. Really? A league winner? Yeah, he plays in a bunch of fantasy leagues and drafted zero running back in all of them. So he's winning them all. <laughs> Folks, we want to extend our thanks to our guests, Pat Corain and Davis Maddock. And thank you all for tuning in once again. We'll be back uh, when we're back. Thanks, guys. is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, 
division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.